Hello, this is Dr. Nancy O'Reilly, and you're listening to Smart, Amazing Conversations with Dr. Nancy. Supporting women is my passion, and it's my purpose. And listening and talking with women who advocate for women's leadership and lift women up is my favorite thing to do. Their stories are inspiring, and they help us to understand that we can all succeed if we support one another in our work and in our lives. These amazing conversations gave me the stories and the wisdom from my earlier book, Leading Women. And they also inspired me with my new book, which came out in 2019, called In This Together, How Successful Women Support Each Other in Work and Life. Now, this week, I'm so pleased to welcome Stephanie Rimmer. I met Stephanie at Take the Lead's Power Up Conference in February and was so very impressed with her energy, her can-do attitude, drive, and dedication to help others. For example, she brought a baby she is fostering to the conference, which was too young to be left at home. So she's a multitasker. She does it all. But that's not the only reason that she's so outstanding. Stephanie is a lifelong community leader, the mother of four beautiful teenage daughters who is homeschooling right now. She's also currently the vice president in charge of finance and operations of Rimmer Lighting, LLC, which she owns with her husband which where she oversees international trade relations, export compliance, and reporting for trade in Mexico. And not to say the least, she's running for the U.S. Congress for Arizona's 6th District. <laughs> she can do it all. You know, I've said many times that women seek public office to help their families and their communities and make the world a better place, and she's that person. That's why Stephanie is adding U.S. Congresswoman to her many other duties. Her primary goal is to transform our government into a body that serves the people. So her platform includes federally supported pre, uh, pre-kindergarten programs, early childhood education, affordable health care, and bridges the current gaps in coverage sustainable for our world, and, and of course, free and fair trade. She has a wealth of experience in finance, marketing, and public service, and has served on numerous boards and commissions including the Desert Ridge Community Association, which she was nominated for the Athena Award for the Phoenix Chamber of Commerce. So I'm very excited to be talking to Stephanie, uh, who has chosen to take her public service to the next level and find and find out more about her. She is doing it. She is representing so many wonderful causes, changing the world for good. So it's my pleasure to welcome Stephanie Rimmer, to Smart, Amazing Conversations with Dr. Nancy. Welcome, Stephanie. Well, good morning, Stephanie. Sometimes the technology works, sometimes it doesn't, but we're talking, which is fantastic. Good morning, Dr. Nancy. It's very nice to speak with you this morning. Yeah, we met in, uh, we met in Arizona at the uh, Power Up Conference, and you had your little, your little baby boy with you, which was delightful. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you were you. You are the ultimate example of a woman who can do it all. Talk about multitasking. I'd say, Stephanie, you get the prize. <laughs> well, you know, if you like, if you grew up like I did in a small town where there wasn't really um, a lot of resources available, you learn to multitask and to do everything. I, I think there's probably a lot of people like me in the world, and we just don't always know it. Yeah. Well, I've read your bio and I've read all the information about you. Yes, you you definitely came from a background where 
uh, you had to be re- resourceful and you dealt with what you had. So, in fact, that's where I usually start this conversation is really tell me about you, your personal story, where you come from, how how you got to be the person I'm talking to today. Because I think when women share their stories about who they are and what has made them, there's always an amazing connection that occurs. So tell me your personal story, and then we'll get into some some other important things as well. So what about you? Where would you come from? What's this about? You know, my personal story is, you know, has so many different sides to it because there's always the story of, you know, like who I am in adulthood or who I was in childhood and or my family background. And, and there's so much complexity to it, and I think that might be true of a lot of people. And sure. we don't always know or realize just how much we're impacted by our history. For me, um, I grew up with two grandfathers that were World War II veterans, and that had a really big influence on on my life in a lot of ways. Um, I think because we were always reminded that, you know, of our freedoms, of what what we aren't facing, and we always had that story and that background. So it was easy to be grateful for having very little. And when you don't have freedom, then then everything else you don't have or anything you do have probably matters more than just about anything. And I think right now, um, looking at the issues going on in our country, the, that message is really a strong one that I, I enjoyed growing up because I was able to focus on what's really important in life. Yeah. We didn't have much. I, at, by the time I was 11 years old, I was being picked up in the morning at 5 a.m. by you know, a local lady up the street and going down to the field to pick berries with the migrant workers to make money. And I yeah. thought I was having, I thought I was having fun. But when people hear this, they think, wow, what a rough childhood. That wasn't hard. Yeah. Picking berries was not hard. Being a, a kid with cash in my pocket was not hard. In yeah. fact, you know, I embraced all of the challenges, growing plants and lilies to sell on the side of the road, um, you know, when I was 12 and 13, or starting my own clubs. And I mean, really made me a go-getter. If the club yeah. I wanted didn't exist at school, well, let's find the people and let's start the club. I was yeah. never afraid to do anything or take care of myself or others or my own business. So by the time I get to 46 and I'm running for Congress and I have a business and four daughters and I get a phone call that says, you know, this young woman that you know just had a baby, the baby's been drug exposed, would you be willing to take care of the baby? The answer yeah. is yes. I mean, yeah. I'm not afraid of doing anything. I, along the way, you know, to me that's simple. Oh, a, a baby, that's joyful, it's happy, it's not stressful. Sure. So really my story is, is pretty basic. It's just that as life happened, I was never afraid to take on more and do more, and I've never found it to be problematic or overwhelming. Yeah. So that's just who I am now today. And, and therefore, taking on Congress does not save me at all. Congress yeah. needs reforms. We elected 100 new people, and, and they don't know what reforms they need. So taking that on, it's just an, the next step in my life. Yeah. Well, it, these reasons are the reasons I wanted to, to have this conversation with you today, because, Stephanie, you do represent what we need to have in our country right now. You know, you're the voice. You know, the Lift Women Up campaign is a huge part of Women Connect for Good right now. But one of the things that are so important is women's voices, but women running for office. We do not have enough women running for office using their voices. You know, women, we women have been problem solvers. I mean, we've always, you know, we t- I talked about the multitasking. 
but we've always we've always multitasked and we've always been the problem solvers. So it makes sense that when we get into our communities, when we get into looking at our our country, our you know where we live, is that we can make the greatest change because we are living those issues every single day of our lives. And it's sad, but but unfortunately true. You know we are we do have better representation than we've had. But I don't know if you've seen the series Mrs. America. Uh, I'm not kidding you. I just finished watching the last episode last night, but it's all about the ERA, and and it's about the the representation of of a group of women who wanted to defeat it, and of course the group of women like Gloria Steinem and Bella Abzug and those women that wanted it to pass, and here we are, 2020, and we have 38 states that have ratified it. 38 states. The last one ratified it in 2020, and that was the state of Virginia. So, you know, we've got some real issues going on in our country. But, you know, I think one of them is extremely important is women supporting women. I think if more women supported one another, we would have representation that we need. We would have the things that we need in our country right now if more women just supported one another. And I don't know. What's your take on that? Well, I do believe that women need to support women and yet – um, we have to also be wise about what that means. It can't be any woman. I think with Sarah Palin, right. we thought we wouldn't want it to be any woman. But at the same time, you know, wholeheartedly, if it's a woman in the race, I put my backing behind the woman if all else is equal, you know. Yeah. And and sometimes even when all else isn't equal, because there's a reality to the fact that as women, we, we take on more at home, we take on more in our communities, and right. so professionally, Speaking that background on the professional side might not be equal with the male counterpart, but the addition of the other experience and exposure, I think, is what matters even more in leadership um, and that's been lacking in our country are the exposure to the real world problems, to the problems that women are solving every day in our communities that you cannot come in contact with as you're building your professional resume. Yeah. Well, you know, and and again, I I speak as that because women that's really where women connect for good came from. Was just the simple process of supporting other women's efforts, their missions, their you know, their their philosophy. That's why we're speaking today because I want to support your efforts. I want to support what you're doing. But again, we need everyone. We need everyone. And and the sooner we start to teach our children, and I know your daughters, you know, you have four beautiful daughters and you're teaching them things that a mother, another kind of mother might not be teaching them. So what are the things that you're teaching your daughters today? Because these are the things that are important for the, the next generation and the generations to come. Well, I like to keep it simple. So first of all, my kids have only three rules. I didn't need to inundate my daughters with a bunch of rules about, you know, being this way or that way. Those make yeah. me really exhausted as a human being, and I didn't like it growing up, all the standards that we put on women. So three rules. Do what you're supposed to do, obey who you're supposed to obey, and behave how you're supposed to behave. End of story. Okay. Keep it simple. Then on top of that, though, I help them understand what those rules really mean. So the obey who you're supposed to obey. If you say, she told me to, well, she, you weren't supposed to obey her, so let's not have that conversation. The, but on the do what you're supposed to do and the behave how you're supposed to behave, those are really critical, I think, for young women. Behave how you're supposed to behave. Somebody comments on your short shorts. Well, you know what, that, you don't have to behave how they want you to behave. Right. Right? So it's yeah. helping you define what that is. And, you know, are you supposed to be wearing short shorts right now? Or are you supposed to be wearing, you know, your choir dress? That would be one thing. But at the end of the day, the comments that people make towards women, the body shaming, 
this helps me define for my daughters that they don't have to follow these unwritten rules. That's not yeah. how they're supposed to behave. Yeah. Be polite, be friendly, be professional. You know, the behaviors that I expect of my daughters are really character building. You know, they're not about what people see from the outside. Yeah. And I have four beautiful, fabulous daughters, but at the end of the day, they each pick what they wear and they each decide for themselves um, how they're going to present themselves to the world. And that's what yeah. we should be embracing as women. And that's where I focus. I have three daughters also. And I have, uh, I have seven granddaughters. <laughs> wow. So, so I, I'm all about this. But, you know, the one thing that I had to come to terms with, and, and I don't think you ever came, you ever had to do this, was coming to terms with being a woman and the value that women have. I had to empower and value myself first before I could ever value any other woman. And God, she has a great sense of humor. She gave me three daughters. <laughs> And so I have I have learned, and then and then the, the granddaughters started to come. And I said, "Okay, I'm getting it, I'm getting it." <laughs> so so I think that the value comes is when we really start to to really value ourselves as women. And I think that when we look at bias, and and I talk a lot about that in the book, in this together. But the biases that we have towards ourselves are the ones we need to check into and check out, and then we can start to look at other people and how we're treating them. I think, you know, if we treat others the way we choose to be treated, but again, we first have to understand how do we want to be treated. And I actually was tearful last night when I watched the final episode of Mrs. America because it said that the 19, in the 1970s, women had the, the largest political influence they'd ever had, but we lost it. We, we dropped it. And, you know, this group of women that were fighting so hard to, to again, have, have women represented – it made me very sad that, you know, we get started somewhere along the line, we start to lose it again. We have these wonderful rallies and, and we show up, but then what happens later? What do you think happens to women later? Well, I think what's happened um, is more than one thing, actually, but I would start with that um, in the race for equality, equity, diversity, and inclusion, right. we, did, we didn't get the ERA passed before we started to focus on all of the other issues that are also yeah, important. Absolutely. And absolutely. At the end of the day, if we have equal rights for women from the day they are born, then everything afterward is equal. Yeah. So yeah. the ERA is very pivotal in solving all of the problems. And it puts into law equality for every single human being yeah. the day they are born. Yeah. Um, and, and right now what we face is the, uh, the effort to not gender stereotype and, not, and to allow for free gender identity kind of takes away from that reality that we're yeah. not talking about when somebody can think on their own and make their own choices. We're talking about before you can even think. When you right. are born and you come out of the womb and in the hospital and we're going to assign a gender, are those two babies equal? Yeah, absolutely. And if we don't start with those babies being equal, yeah. then we will never get to a point where everyone is equal. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And and for women and for men, boys and girls, what we can't see, what we can't hear about, and what we can't read about, we can't know. 
yeah, I think what you're saying, and I agree, we're kind of get educating ourselves backwards. We're going backwards. We've got to go backwards to the beginning so we can get to the to the next step. And uh, you know, and, and I think that has been difficult. I think that has been hard. But there are there is a community, a growing community, women like yourself, men like like yourself, who who understand the importance of understanding that each of us has rights. Each of each of us has abilities and talents and and so forth. But you know, you're you're a driving force there. I don't want to uh, ignore your platform because. Because everything that you talk about is important for everyone, everyone. Healthcare, education, jobs. You know, we poverty is our biggest issue in our country. Until we are done with poverty, and as I said, if everybody, as you said, as everybody starts on the same page, we don't have poverty. We don't have problems with healthcare. We don't have problems with education. So, t- talk a little bit about your platform. What are your What are your plans? You're running for Congress, sixth district in Arizona. What's your platform? What are your plans? Well, my platform with the issues are those are key issues that I think we need to tackle in the um, pursuit of equity. So I start with Medicare for Kids from zero to five, yeah. and just like the Equal Rights Amendment, if we're not equal at birth then we right. won't be equal later. So if we aren't on health care at birth, who's to say we won't be on health care later? Yeah. So we med- used to have, medicare- and, and this was back when, we used to have well baby clinics. And these well baby clinics were for everyone. These babies w- received all the same health care. And that was what they were called, well baby clinics. They went away. They went away. They need to come well, back. They need to come back. Or bring babies into the system immediately from day one. And a lot of people would like to see Medicare expanded, and they're talking about dropping it down maybe to 57 or some other age. And I, I don't support adding more adults because that won't be a long-term solution. Then we'll always no. be talking about which, which adults we add. I'd yeah, like the, healthy, the, the, healthy com- the upcoming healthy generation is what we need. Well, and if we put the babies on, then the conversation becomes, do we take them off? And the answer is no. No. So... So let's start at the beginning with everything. So then I start with my next platform is federally funded pre-K across the entire country. Right now we have Head Start, but a lot of people don't even know that it exists and they don't know their children would qualify. Yeah. So we just need it for everyone. Yeah. I worked, I worked for Head Start. That was part of my – I did that when I was younger. That was wonderful. And if, go ahead. Yeah, and if go ahead. you can have children in school at the age of three – then English as a second language becomes less of a barrier to learning when you get to kindergarten. We, we start tackling that at the age of three. Then right. we've also got children in front of professionals at a younger age to catch developmental delays and learning disabilities. There's, we can have children ready to learn. We're, we're way behind. I mean, Japan is sending their kids to school in infancy. I don't know what they're learning as infants, but we're, we're behind on education because we're getting kids to school across the country not prepared to learn and their parents don't realize they're not prepared to learn and we need to to work on that if we really want the next generation to be lifelong learners ready to pursue and tackle the biggest challenges that they will face i i believe federally funded pre-k across the entire country is a mess i i agree with you absolutely uh yeah we start at the very as soon as possible well well baby clinics into the into head start learning as quickly uh, you know being prepared to learn it's so important to have the confidence in being prepared yeah absolutely okay and then finally it all everything else comes down to money so yeah it does poverty, poverty. No we've got well we've poverty. got to get rid of poverty poverty has to go 
right. So how are we how how are we tackling the issues that relate to how many is dispersed within our economy? So we need to be growing jobs, jobs training at younger ages, paid apprenticeships. There's a lot we need to do to solve how many moves around the economy. And one thing that's not in my platform, but that's part of that is not only we need to build jobs and grow the jobs of the future, train people for those jobs, but a big part of poverty is a lack of home ownership. Yeah. So one thing that I have that's like a side project, um, my family spent 10 years building the largest collection of urban inner city art. I'm sorry, the largest collection of what? I'm sorry, that you cut out right there. Um, what? Ur- urban inner city art. So basically oh. graffiti. And this uh-huh. is graffiti from the, the 70s and 80s that, you know, it got painted over. It no longer existed. Uh-huh. And, and we went and met with the artists, and we got them to recreate their art on canvases. We have 1,100 pieces now, mostly 6-foot by 10-foot pieces of canvas. It's probably the largest graffiti collection in the world. Really? And wow. what And what the goal here is, one, to document and preserve this history, which is mostly, you know, African-American and people of color who were – you know, Chagger's graffiti artist, Wayne Roberts, who is called um, Stay High 149, was an artist out of New York, and mm-hmm. his tag is Voice of the Ghetto, um, or there was a gentleman whose tag was Freedom, and they built this Freedom Tunnel in New York, you know, or with the subway art. A lot of it was about speaking out against the system. So we've recreated this, and uh-huh. we're, doing a, we're doing a test exhibit next week, a really small one out in um, Everett, Washington, and after that, the goal is to start a foundation that would put money back into the inner cities for home ownership to really help tackle poverty. And with this foundation, to take the art around the country and exhibit it, art that yeah. people have never seen outside of books that they've, if somebody documented it when photos were taken. But because it doesn't exist right now in the real world, it's all been painted over. So to take yeah. this art around, let the world see it, really document. This is our original American art. These were the voices back in the 70s and the 80s, and they've been covered up and forgotten about, and we still have to tackle this issue. So it took 10 years for us to put this exhibit together wow. and this collection together. It's a big, big, you know, effort. And I'll then, be interested you know, in the, it, what, what reaction you get from that because I think it will be uh, there'll be different different reactions. There will be different reactions to it. But uh, right, okay. Right. Well, but you know what? We could be talking for another hour, yeah. and that, and that's what's bad about this is that you get started in the really important things. But I, you know, most importantly, Stephanie, I want to know how we can support you. I know money, as you said, money's the issue. Money's always the issue when it comes to uh, running a race and a big race. But again, the more you're out there talking, you are getting your thoughts, your ideas, and and. The, the important things, how we change the world for good. That's what you're. That's what you're doing. That's what you're talking about. What do we need to know? And we will put your information on our website, and we'll do what we can. But tell us more about how people can reach you, how, what we can do for you. And like I said, I wish we could be talking for another another thirty minutes. Well, my website is rimmerforcongress.com. That's R-I-M-M-E-R-F-O-R Congress.com, and people can go online there they can donate um you can also go to my facebook which is rimmer the number four congress and or my twitter or my instagram follow me share my posts so donations and spreading the word 
Um, if you know people who live in Arizona's 6th Congressional District, which is Scottsdale, Northeast Phoenix, Mountain Hills, Paradise Valley, Carefree, and Cave Creek, um, please spread the word about my candidacy. Ask them to vote for me on August 4th to get me through my primary and make sure that I am the candidate that takes on um, our Republican right-wing anti-woman, anti-equality, anti climate change denier. I mean, really. <laughs> wow. <laughs> August 4th, Phil. Yes, definitely. How long, how long has this person been in office? Well, the Republican has been in office for 10 years now, and he's completely ineffective. He yeah, doesn't even have, have influence in his own party. He's just been why does, Why is this man, why is he being reelected? Why is he reelected? What's the reason? Well, it's, it's been numbers, math. So this district has been historically Republican. There's still a 16-point Republican advantage, but we do have um, a lot of the nonpartisan voters that vote Democratic, so it's considered a nine-point Republican advantage. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I've been in the district for 25 years. I've worked with people in all across the community. I have the support to beat him. Um, I have no doubt if I come through my primary that I win this seat for the Democrats and I put a strong woman back in Congress, another yeah. one of us. Um, you know, I interned for Senator Barbara Mikulski when I was 18, and the and just the influence she had on what what I know it means to be a strong woman. Yeah. You know, and the and the women I've met over the years, Patty Murray, Jolene Unfold, and being exposed to you know Emily really early on in the in the early 90s and rallying in, you know at the at the U.S. Supreme Court in 92, and having this exposure to a lot of very strong women. I know what it means to be a strong woman, and I know that when I get back to Congress that I will not be afraid to tackle issues, to speak up, to be a voice. Um, I'm not worried about my career. I'm not worried about my reputation. I'm only worried about being effective. And we need women who are not building their careers but who are building the future, and and that is what I represent. Changing changing the world for good, that's Stephanie, changing the world for good or better. Uh, and I and I I wish there were so many more women. Let's just clone you. How about that? You know, let's let's start some cloning. Some cloning would be good. Yeah. I was impressed with you when I met you in Arizona. I'm impressed with what you're doing, and it's so very very important. Like I said last night after I watched uh, Mrs. America, I was I was actually I was actually tearful. I was tearful because I thought, look where we are, 2020. It's so hard to believe that when it comes to gender equity and and representation that what's what's it going to take what's it going to take you know what it's going to take people like you people like me and we're going to have to keep working we're not done we're just not done so once again let's let leave us with some final words that we need to know and things that can really really help us to understand Dr. Nancy in 1992 we had the year of the woman right and we thought that was amazing. And then 2018, we called it, you know, a blue wave, yet also a year of the woman. We're yeah. not there. So my final words would be that we stop saying that, that we, yeah. that we own the reality we have. We own the reality we've created, which is by believing that these tiny improvements are, are enough. What we yeah. need is like catalytic, immediate improvement, change, progress that happens overnight. Yeah. And has somebody who's been involved and paying attention and following this for more than 30 years, I have documented more than 60 changes in Congress in the last 20 years that if we reverse those can yeah. help create change quickly. So what we need right now 
are people like you and I who've been in this long enough to have yeah. the history to know to know what we can tell AOC. Hey, AOC, fabulous. Now take your reform issues and look at these things and help make these changes. Because yeah. we elected 100 change agents and then they got in line. And yeah. they, that's because they don't know what to do. And so I need to go back to Congress and yeah. tell them all of the things that have gone on in the last 30 years that took us from there to here and why no why progress didn't happen and get them back out of line. Yeah. They all got in line. They need to get yeah. back out of line. Nobody in Congress should be in line. No, no, they should should already have – if you have a platform, start working on it like yours. I mean, immediately, you know, and develop the community and grow the community that, that's needed. I, I think we all really, really want to make a difference, but many people just don't know how. So you don't go to the rally. You don't cheer, you know, jump up and down, go yay, 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 and then go home and put your head back in the sand. That's not the way it works. We can't put our heads back in the sand. It's not going to work. Stephanie, you are out there. I'm excited for you. I mean, I love meeting people like you. We'll do what we can to support you. We'll get the information out. And anything that comes up, please let us know, and then we can continue from there. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate your time today and everything that you've done, you know, with the Power Up Conference and for, you know, promoting women and power so thank you very much for your time we will we will have that conference again next year and it'll be it'll be bigger and better you know i love when these we have these conferences and a woman will never it never fails a woman will come up to me and say she said i've never been to a better conference in my life and i said well why is this better than other places that you've been she says because i feel supported I feel like people understand me. And, and you know, and it's 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 like that light bulb goes off and that aha when you when women do finally feel the support and somebody really gets it, anything is possible. So we just need to keep finding more and more. Stephanie, have a wonderful day. Take care and we'll we'll be in touch and like I said, let us know other ways we can help. Great. Thank you very much.